Welcome to All Things Vegas, nourishing self-care for the helping professional. During our time together, we will explore a wide variety of topics relating to self-care, all especially geared to the helping professional. Our guests are all thought leaders and cutting-edge providers in their respective fields of endeavor. They will offer not only helpful insights, but practical skills that you can begin to use immediately. Marge Holbert is a shamanic practitioner, scientist, and author. She holds a master's degree in hydrology from the University of Arizona and is a graduate of the Foundation for Shamanic Studies three-year program in advanced initiations in shamanism and shamanic healing. She enjoys teaching and helping people heal in mind, body, and spirit by bridging the gap between modern health practices and ancient spiritual ways. As both scientist and spiritual healer, she has a passion for exploring the edges of our knowledge of health, state of being, and how we understand the world. She is the author of Finding Eagle, A Journey into Modern-Day Shamanism. To learn more about Marge's practice and for her website address, see the show notes. So Marge, thank you so much for joining us today here on our All Things Vegas podcast. I have just always been really fascinated by shaman and shaman ritual and just the whole idea of shamanism and its ancient roots. And so I'm really delighted that you're here there today to talk with us about this. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited about being here too. It's just one of my favorite topics to talk about, of course. So one of the things that I think is really, really relevant to this whole idea of how we all can take care of ourselves is this Sometimes this feeling that we all probably have encountered at some point of not feeling like we're ourselves, this whole idea of feels like there's something missing and just not hitting on all cylinders and that kind of thing. So can you talk a little about that from a shaman perspective in terms of, I mean, people are fairly familiar with that idea in current culture, but what did the ancients how did they do that? Well, well, first of all, soul retrieval is a shamanic practice mm-hmm. that it's a healing practice for bringing back parts of our soul that may have lost our body for one reason or another. And it does go back to ancient times. And I like to think when people mention ancient spirituality, it's the shamans that they're talking about. It goes back to 40,000 years or more. And Shamanism, just for a little bit of background, it is thought to have sprung up on every continent around the world pretty much, I don't know if it was simultaneously, but independently of other communities. Each little tribe or community really developed shamanism on their own. And they're separated by tremendous land, space, and oceans, and all of that, and really diverse cultures in these communities, but they all have near-universal core practices, and they're just set against a different culture. And so one of those practices is soul retrieval. And in ancient times, and even not-so-ancient times on an anthropology scale, these different cultures and communities were separated from the rest of the world. And so they didn't have our medical technology at all, and they all they had to rely on to heal themselves, to survive in the wilderness, to survive anything, any accidents that happened with hunting or whatever it was, the weather, 
All they had to rely on to take care of themselves was their own intuitive and spiritual connections. And that's where their based medicine and spiritual practices came from. Yeah. And they're very powerful. In ancient times, I'm not sure there was such a thing as a partial soul loss. I don't think they had that concept way back when. But total soul loss was when a person's, their whole soul would leave their body, and that meant that they had died. And that was the connection. And so somebody would be on their deathbed or just had recently died. The community would call for the shaman. The shaman would come running over and do a tremendous and sometimes very, very long ceremony. They'd take their spirit allies and they would go out into the netherworld, into the spiritual realm, and they would find where that soul was. And it was on its way, moving farther away, or it stuck somewhere. And it, it's so dramatic to hear the stories. They would wrestle that soul and release it from whatever was pulling it. And they'd bring it back and force it, literally force it into the person's body. And then the idea is that the person would come back to life. And I'm sure that didn't always happen because there isn't immortality as far as we know in any particular life existence. But sometimes it happened. And recently I have read an account of this kind of ceremony being done oh, within the past 10 years, I'd say. And it was an eyewitness account by a German woman who has happened to be in Siberia, staying with a shaman at the time. And from the description of it, it sounds, I mean, the shaman was jumping up and down on the person's body, and they're flopping all over the place. And, of course, the witness didn't know this person was already dead. <laughs> but it just made me think that, well, this is like a, a defib what's called a defibrillator machine. And it's just that pressure, and just on and on and on. It got their heart started, got them breathing. So I think this really was very early medicine. So when you're talking about a soul retrieval, how does that, if you had to connect it with language that we're more familiar with in mm -hmm. today's world, how would you connect that concept of soul retrieval to what we are more familiar with in our culture today? Well, and you're right, it's very closely connected to trauma. But I think if someone has, well, first of all, they might know what the problem is. They have you know, PTSD, or they were in a war, or they were abused as a child, or molested as an adult, or whatever it is, or even something like a car accident that can really throw us off balance, or a relationship. <laughs> no, it can be any from serious to very minor. But we do get that feeling of either being unbalanced or like part of us is missing. We might call it depression, lack of motivation, lack of vitality. It might just be stuckness. It's as simple as people will come to me and they'll say, well, I don't really know why I'm here, but I'm just stuck and I don't know what's going on. So those are the kinds of things where you think, yeah, yeah, that's where soul retrieval fits. And without that resource, I think people often go to a therapist or they talk to their friends or they just kind of soldier on. 
But soul retrieval is the idea that we can, a shaman, can travel into that spirit world and find the essence of your soul and bring it back and connect it to your body. And it's, when you look at it from a modern Western perspective, it's really kind of a fantastical idea. But it's just another paradigm for looking at life and how our bodies work and our minds and our hearts. I've always been kind of fascinated by the ideas that people who didn't have access to, say, the body of knowledge that we have now, the science that we have now, that they still found, they still had an understanding of these kinds of situations and the influence that would have on our human well-being. They really still understood when something really difficult happens, we struggle with what happens as a result of we kind of lose ourselves somewhere, that there's something that gets repressed or something that changes. We now understand, I think, a little bit more about the neurobiology of all of that. But the fact that those functions or that lack of function was recognized and at that time, this was the language that was available to them and the method that was available to them to work with that. Yeah, it was an earth-based culture or practice, very nature-based. And soul retrieval is just one part of it. The Those ancient shamanic cultures could really tap into the plants and the animals. They were a part of the ecosystem in which they lived. And you hear stories about, oh, they could talk to birds. And, and you still hear that today with people who are really tuned in. And I've been working on talking to plants and in a very satisfying way, you have to speak the plant language. And you just learn that by being present and by loving, just giving love to a plant that you're taking care of. You can do this in a garden. You can build a grassland like I'm doing right now. Or you can just have a house plant, just really care for it and communicate with it. And the, I believe they also had connection with the very, very subtle electromagnetic field of the Earth and possibly other forces that we don't have names for yet. And so I tend to believe that some of these stories that you hear about the abilities of shamans, you know, translocation and levitation and all that, and I'm inclined to believe that those may be possible to some extent. And now our technology just drowns out those subtle forces, and we've lost that ability. I think that most of us can relate to this idea of not feeling like we're totally ourselves after something difficult happens. Outside of actually accessing working with somebody like yourself who has training in an actual soul retrieval, what are the things that we can do for ourselves? in terms of that understanding, that knowledge. But how can we begin to approach supporting ourselves with this kind of work? Yeah, when you stop and think about it, there are actually quite a few ways that this can be done. And one thing I'd, I'd like to say before I get into a specific is that part of soul retrieval is the recognition that when a soul essence leaves our body, it's going there for protection, protect itself, and it's out in the netherworld and hiding away. 
but it takes with it the gifts that it has. And part of our feeling lost is that because we don't have those gifts that we might be used to, or and we might lose our passion for playing the piano or whatever it is, because that's all part took it away. And so that's just another concept piece to kind of sit with and absorb that would be helpful. Yeah. And it actually have come with three things that people can do. And the first one is, I'm just calling it mindfulness, but it's meditation is what generally comes up first for people. And there are many different ways to meditate. And I would suggest that a good thing to do would be to do some sort of meditation or mindfulness practice that that you already are familiar with. And if you haven't heard of meditation or haven't tried it, then anything that a walk in the woods or just finding a restful place in your home or in nature or maybe even at lunch hour if you can leave your office and a lot of people even will just go sit in their car because that's where they can really be undisturbed. And But just a place at whatever you can do to create a place of calm and invite in kind of a, a sacredness to that spot. And also many of us may have a personal helping spirit and we don't know it. And this is totally aside from parts of our soul that might be out there, but a helping spirit. And if you might have a connection to a saint or an angel, or it could be even something possibly like a crystal or just something that you like to carry with you, and and everything has a spirit. And you can invite that spirit to go with you. Maybe it's a childhood friend, your pretend friend when you were little or maybe a particular animal, a pet or domestic animal or a wild animal that you just sort of connect with. And so you can invite that spirit with you. And I would say just sit in meditation, have that spirit with you. And I want to say don't try to just jump in and invite a soul essence back because that can take you down and it can take you into a downward spiral. So you want to be careful and gentle and just love yourself and just see what shows up. And I think what we're doing more than anything is creating a space within ourselves that soul essence will come back on its own. And when I do a soul retrieval, I spend a little time speaking with that soul essence and I find ways to assure them that they will be safe. If it's a child essence, I remind them that, well, while you've been hiding out here for 20 years or whatever it is, your body it has been growing up and, and that person's an adult now and they can give you the power that you need to be safe in the world and, and take care of you. Mm-hmm. And it's the same whatever age that spirit is or you know, whatever the situation is. There's a way... That that they can feel safe and welcomed. So that would be something that you notice that can happen, not spontaneously, but on its own. It can happen on its yeah. own, and it can happen slowly. It's when the spirit is ready, that essence is ready, when you're ready. And so it might happen slowly over time, and it might be one day you just wake up and it's like, wow, 
I haven't thought about playing the piano for years. That would be great to do when I get home from work every night. And it's just the spark you need. So what else? And so the second one I have, again, is I'd say even more familiar to people. (laughs) And that's just about, well, I've called that remembering your heritage. And by the way, these three things are approaches that I used to get out of a, a soul loss situation myself. So this is what works for me. And I'll share them and maybe it'll work for others as well. But just to look back at your family and maybe there is a parent or an older sibling or a grandmother or somebody who you really admired and enjoyed and look up to in your family growing up. And just go back and it's almost like, what would my grandpappy say in, you know, in this situation? Or remembering family celebrations, or just ordinary around the dinner table, whatever it is, and tap into that whole environment and to recognize the positive, just the positive parts, and to recognize that you also carry those traits. You've inherited some of those traits, and not just from your mother and father, but from many, many generations going back. And that's a whole new world in looking at shamanism and epigenetics and family patterns, but you can carry innate emotional knowledge from way, way back. And so just reminding yourselves of that possible and positive aspect. Like really tapping into the big history in your family. Yeah. Not necessarily just the, just not your just immediate necessarily that you even remember. Oh, that's right. That's right. You can go. And knowing your own family If you don't remember or don't know anything at all about your genetic heritage, you can do your own analysis of your family and you can pretty well guess what traits may have come down. And if you know what country they came from originally or what kind of blood you have, that can give you some good clues too. And some things, some just some positive things from way back Mm -hmm. that you can hold on to and that help you remember who you are. Right. Well, if we tied this into the whole idea of where we started with this was making some essence of ourselves that is lost to us, that kind of creating a, a supportive container that's bigger than just us would help serve that process. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And when you look at shamanic practices, that's where the idea that it's, well, It's the spirits who do the work, and the shaman's the doorway, and the patient is very much involved. It's not really a silver bullet, but the patient and the shaman work together with the spirits for this to happen. And so anything you do to create a sacred space, too, whatever that means to you, lighting a candle or smudging is very popular, but, I mean, you don't have to light sage. You don't have to light anything. <laughs> you can shake a rattle. You can anything that you feel is carries some form of compassionate power for you. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Very easy. And it's all it's about intention and open mindedness as much as anything and compassion. What else is on the list? All right. So I have one more, and I'm just calling that reliving your past successes. Okay. Because as we go through our lives, we engage in lots of different things. And I think that if you have had some really good successes in your life, some people have big successes, some have ones that 
they might discount but are really important. There's a time that they stood up to somebody or they helped someone and that made the world better. <laughs> Just very little things. But any time that you can think back and remember those good times when you've just felt really good about something that you accomplished, then just reliving that in your mind and feeling it in your body, I think that's very powerful to helping bring back what we might ordinarily say your confidence, but your wholeness and remembering that, oh man, I helped this child over here years ago. Now I talk to their teacher for them or whatever it is, then on my job now, well, heck, I can talk to my boss. I can do this. I can get my act together. It feels to me like that what we're really doing with like this particular component, because I think for a lot of us, it's really hard to even recognize that we've had successes, pretty hard on ourselves. But it's also, I think, possibly reframing how you would define success, because many times we think about success as being some big thing. When we hit the jackpot on something, and not literally necessarily a jackpot, but the jackpot in terms of this is a yay big thing, as opposed to really recognizing perhaps on a day-to-day basis, all the things that really do go well that you've participated in helping it go well. Yes. Those are sometimes, I think, a little easier to recognize. They are. And in some ways, perhaps they're more important. If you win an award from your community, it's like, to me, it's like, well, I just did what I do. But if you've just really brought a smile to someone's face or you have a good dinner on the table just some night when your family's all tired and cranky, and or you just make the decision, well, all right, we'll just order in tonight. And just something that small, but just the fact that you're taking responsibility for it and making it a gift, that makes a huge difference. So it's more about what you do every day. It is, very much so. Which then I think creates the possibility of feeling like if there is a part, again, that is lost to us, it has something solid to come back to. Yes, yes. It has something solid to come back to, and almost like recognizing that in the scope of this person's life and what this person, how this person lives their day-to-day life, I matter. I'm a part of this. And you, you could even go one step further in that direction. And because something that I've actually been doing lately with all the confusion in the world is that I have my to-do list like probably most of us do. But I have also been very intentional about well, this is a little problem I have. My website's not working right. But this is what I'm doing today to fix that one little thing. And the first thing I'm going to do is call the web provider and see what's going on. And having that list or having a little journal or something, it's like, yes, I did that. And just that tiny bit of taking control makes a huge difference. Again, because it's creating a pattern of not only feeling confident, but also feeling competent, like I can handle this, which then it's a big safety signal, I think. Yeah, that's right. For something that we don't have, that we've lost track of. If you want to come back to shamanism for just a moment, something that I draw on all the time is a particular spirit helper or even a small group of spirit helpers. And I just say, hey, are you with me today? And of course they are. And we have support from a whole 
larger realm. And it's a good way to start on a shamanic path that's very easy and you can do by yourself is just to recognize whatever you think might be a helper or something. Just like I was saying earlier, maybe it's that you really like crows or something. And just invite, just just call it pretend. It's perfectly legitimate to pretend because you might think the pretty standard modern way of looking at things now is in how our body works is we feel something in our body and then our mind comes on board and makes meaning. And so it's perfectly fine. We're always pretending. We're always making up meaning for what's going on in our lives. So pretend, all this crow that's always hanging around my yard there, maybe it is here for me. And you can tap into what, maybe I can talk to this crow in my mind. And just go with it for a little while. Don't pay attention to the little voice that's saying I'm totally nuts. Just go with it for a little bit, and you might discover that you are finding wisdom and a source of company and companionship and help from some entity that's bigger than yourself. So I'm guessing it's not about that we don't have support, it's just we don't see it. Absolutely. And one of my teachers, Michael Harner, who's the founder of, of the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, he says that everybody has a personal helping spirit. And we most of us have forgotten who that is. But we all have one. Otherwise, we wouldn't have survived childhood. Okay, so if we were going to circle back around so that people have like a more bulleted list of how they can begin to tap into some of these concepts to help themselves when they're not feeling like they're all here. Your suggestions, go through those again. Okay, so number one was mindfulness, some form of meditation. Number two was remember your heritage and immediate family and going as far back as, as you care to go in your ancestry. And three is to relive your own successes, large or small, yeah. from your life. Yeah. As we're wrapping up today, Marge, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to touch on? There is one more piece that I would really like to say, and that is that societies also carry trauma, just the way we do as individuals. And it's really important for where we are in life right now, and it's or the world is, that as many people as possible can find ways to keep their souls, keep our souls whole as individuals, because that will have the ripple effect and eventually help societies become whole and heal their trauma and be able to let go of their past beliefs that they've been carrying for so long and that keep these differences of opinion alive. And so I just wanted to say that I think this topic and the whole topic of ancient spirituality is pretty crucial to our world today. 